Hey guys, I'm Jackie Brubaker, your host of That Girl, the podcast. I'm an author, performer, two-time Emmy Award winner, human relationship specialist, and founder of the wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. Each week, I bring on inspiring people and experts in their field to have powerful, motivational, and enlightened conversations about relationships, self-development, and how you can live your most authentic life. Follow us for daily updates on myself and the podcast at That Girl the Podcast and at Jackie Brubaker on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and our Patreon page. While you're at it, make sure to check out my new wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. If you're wanting to dig into developing more self-worth, be healthier about relationships, and learn how to date smarter, go to loveyouevenmore.com and follow us on Instagram at loveyouevenmore. Welcome, Steve Banowitz, to That Girl, the podcast. Well, we're going to have to stop because Steve Banowitz is number five. Oh, shoot. Oh, my God. Why did I say Steve? No, it's good. That is I so, love him. That is so weird. Okay. Well, I'm going to... It is. And that's my dad's name. Like, that's not an uncommon name to me. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's the, you know, it, 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 Dean is really an uncommon name. I don't know that many of them. You and my dad. Yeah. You and my dad are the only ones. That is so crazy. Dean Banowitz, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I am very excited to chat. I'm very excited to chat with you. Dean is a very accomplished hairstylist. He has quite the story of being one of 15, growing up in Iowa, doing all of this crazy stuff that is so all over the place. But his biggest thing is that he just... He is the cream that rises to the top. He knows how to make it happen and how to make your dreams happen, which is what we're going to really focus on today. So I always like to let people take the lead and explain a little about themselves because you always do a better job than I can, especially when saying your first name. I can't believe I called you Steve. No, I love it. Steve is number five. Um, You know, it's funny because I do a lot of college lectures and when, you know, the school owner introduces me and they clap and everything and I go up and I go, listen, before we get started, here's the deal. Throughout my entire lecture, and I do it like a two hour lecture, I go, whatever question you have, write it down. And at the end of this, we're going to do a 30 minute Q&A. Whatever question you want me to answer, I will answer. My name is Dean. I'm single. Let's get started. (laughs) But I was born and raised on a farm in Iowa. I'm the 13th of 15 children. Which is insane. I don't know how your mom did that. Were there multiples or was it like... No multiples. Eight boys, seven girls, all single births. My mom is one of 13. My dad is one of 16. So I had over 500 first cousins combined on both sides. So I'm used to a lot of people. So I can get along with a lot of different personalities because I'm sure we have every single one of those personalities in my immediate family. Oh my goodness. So that was the, when we first, when I first met you, you were saying that, or someone, someone said that and I was like, oh, that's not true. That's impossible. And then you were like, no, no, really. I am one of 15. That's an, that's crazy to me. I grew up here in LA. I'm one of one. That's it. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> I like, I don't even understand siblings. I have friends that are siblings and like, that's as far as I go. But what is it like to grow up with that many kids? Well, my mother had a really, really strict rule that we all get along, period. 
And she was like, what? And this is my whole entire life. Whatever differences you have, you better set them aside because your family is family and you need to be able to work that out. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because, you know, I was just telling you, I just flew in from Nashville yesterday doing American Idol auditions. And we're in this we're in this service elevator and there are 17 people in this elevator and, the, and it's tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go, can everybody just take a minute? Look around. This is the exact number I grew up with every day of my life. This is how many people were at the dining room table. This is how many people were trying to use the bathroom. This is how many people like, and they were like, what? And I go, eight boys, seven girls. Like my mom could have been a CEO for any business because she ran a tight ship and the organization was really intense, which, which is, it has to be. I mean, I always... I always think of uh, Susie Orsman when she's when she says, you know, you got to clear the clutter in order mm-hmm. to really focus on what you're doing. And I- I've lived that way my entire life. I'm, I try to be neat and organized and try to know where my things are. And so I can take accountability for everything. And that's how my mom was with her children. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad way to be. She did the Marie Kondo of kids. <laughs> Trust the Marie <laughs> beyond. Because, you know, it's funny because in this lecture too, I, I talk a lot about my mom and she was like this, this notorious list maker. And it was, it, she didn't take any crap from anyone, which I loved because she was, I mean, she had Who has the time. Kids. Yeah. And, you know, we'd come home, you know, from this, you know, get off the school bus and get in the house. And each one of us had a list of chores we needed to do. Because my mom was a list maker, like the taskmaster of a list. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, you have, you have, there's two rules about the list. You go through that list and you pick whichever one you do not want to do and you do it first. And if you don't pick it, I'll pick it for you. Yes. The next thing, every single thing on this list needs to be done. You can do it now or later, but you're going to get it done. Mm-hmm. And so the, the reasoning, and I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And she goes, you got to do it first. And I go, why? And she goes, because you can check it off and then you don't have to worry about it the rest of the day. But if you don't check it off, you're going to be you're going to be thinking about it and you're going to be dreading it. And inevitably, you're going to be messing it. She would always say fart around. You'd fart around and not finish it. And I was like, (laughs) "Okay, fine. But I do that in my regular life. It's crazy. And, you know, there's a there's a. There's a uh, now I've read this one book and it's like there's like a 15 minute. Um. 15 minute challenge, if you will, because that's what my mom had called it. She was like, you know, you got to clean your room up. And we're like, oh, we don't have time. She goes, you got 10 minutes. I'm going to set the clock right now. 10 minutes. Go. Let's see how much we can get done. And it, it's so crazy because that little shift in, you know, taking something that is so task oriented and making it a fun game mm-hmm. kind of changed me because I do that right now. I'm like 15 minutes. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> And, but, you know, but I I feel like you kind of have to do that really to keep that focus, you know? And so just to give you a little bit of history about myself, when I was in high school, um, I was a junior when my dad passed away and we were on the farm and I was kind of at a crossroad because I had many scholarships to sing because I sang in high school and I made (gasps) state every year and I did all of that. And I, are we both singers? What kind of singing did you do? Um, I, well, I mean, I did a lot of quartet stuff. I did a lot of choral stuff. I did some duet and everything within, you know, high school. And then I sang when I was, um, well, this is another thing, but 
So I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I didn't really want to make music my full-time career because it was a hobby and, you know, I, I was good, but I didn't think I was the most amazing singer or whatever. And so I had some scholarships for, you know, different, for different programs, full rides for music, but I just didn't want to do it. But I knew I needed to get away from the family because I knew if I stayed on that farm, I would be milking cows today. And so I did what I thought everybody did. And I joined the army. (laughs) Right. right I was in Iowa. (laughs) I was 19 years old and I just needed to get away from, I needed to get away from the family for a minute because my dad had just passed. There was a lot of responsibility put on me and I just wasn't ready for all of that. Mm. And, you know, I joined the army um, because I needed money for school too. Cause you know, one of 15, our parents are not paying for college. Yeah. And so I remember it was day two in the army and I called my mom and I was like, I don't really think this is the place for me. (laughs) And she goes, too bad. So sad. You're the one who signed that contract. It's your responsibility. You have to do this. And like, what is she going to do? You know, like call the army and be like, my son wants to come home. Like you can't do that. (laughs) Well, you know, and then, then the thing is you have, you have all of these guys who are, you know, trying to get out of the army and they're whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're acting up and they're doing not cool stuff and they're getting in trouble. And I just, I don't want to do that. I want to act out and get in trouble and get kicked out. That's not my jam either. Right. And she was like, well, you have two choices. You can make this the best tour of duty or the worst. It is your mindset and you need to change it. And I was like, why is this Oprah Winfrey woman always right? It was making me nuts, but it was true. And I, I literally shift my mindset and I was like, all right, I'm going to participate because when you participate, great things happen when you reject and you, you, when you kind of block all of that, that's when you're going to have a lot of negative stuff go down. And I just needed to make it as positive as possible. And because I did change that mindset, I received my first army achievement medal six months after I joined the army and, and very few people have done that. And I was just like, very proud of myself. Yeah. And I was talking to my mom again and I go, mom, everybody in this battalion kind of hates me. <laughs> and I go, I thought they'd be happy for me. And she goes, but always know your worst enemy is probably going to be a jealous person. Yeah. And just be mindful of that. And moving forward, give them something to be jealous about. Mm-hmm. And so I've always, I, that's always in the back of my head. I'm always, I'm not in a vindictive way. I'm always going, all right, you need to go the extra mile because no one else is. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go the extra mile, that's when you're going to stand out against anybody else. Yes. And trust me, I'm the 13th of 15. I know what I need to do to get attention. (laughs) What? What would that that, be? No, I, I totally get that. I mean, I'm not one of a sibling tribe, but I definitely, I've been in entertainment my entire life, including my parents were. And so I was always, and yeah, it's like, it's very hard to be noticed in this industry. Okay. So how long were you in the army for and how did that wrap up? So I was in the army. I had enlisted for four years and in the late night, no, the late eighties, early nineties, um, I got out of the army on a on a riff, which is a reduction in force. It was like a layoff because of budget cuts, and they were. I was prepping for Desert Storm. Oh my gosh! And I was so happy I didn't have to go into yeah. any conflict area. 
And because I was, um, you know, soldier of the year and a decorated veteran and they wanted me to reenlist and they were like, oh, we've ha- we have, you know, this really amazing $5,000 bonus to change your life. And I was like, all right, listen, I'm not going to be a greedy bitch, but five grand is not a lot of money mm-hmm. to make me join to wear green camouflage for another four years just keeping it real yeah and uh and I was like I I'm not a career soldier I've done my part I've served my country I made it a really amazing time I met some really great friends and um and just in and embraced it and and enjoyed it but when it was time I got out Mm -hmm. and I wanted to study art education and art history so when I came back to Iowa, I started a civilian job working in the military, doing almost the same job that I did, but I was it was more desk and it was in an office building. It was it was nothing like being active duty. But I did that during the day and I went to school at night for art education and art history. And then midway through, I'm, I have my associates and I, I reached out to my brother, Leon, who's number 12. And now I should explain that we have a Dewey Decimal System within our family. So like, let's say, for example, you and I got married, you'd be 13.0. If we had children, 13.1, 13.2, 13.3. So oh I will get an email and it'll say 13, blah, 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 blah. And it'll be signed 4.4. So I'm like, Judy Alice Dolores Lloyd. It's my brother Lloyd's fourth kid, Tasha Tanya Brody. It's my niece, Brandy. Not even kidding. That's every, so smart. Every time the family communicates, we are Dewey decimal out. So I love it. I love it. I reach, <laughs> I reach out to number 12, Leon, who I'm the closest with. And I was just like, my life needs direction. I mean, I, I don't want to, I've realized I don't want to teach and I don't want to work in a museum and I don't want to work in the, you know, in any kind of artistic conglomerate. So, and he goes, I really think you should do hair. And I was like, what? Because I'd never, I've never talked about doing hair. I ne- and he was like, you used to braid the tails on the cows when you were supposed to be milking. Just try it. And I go, seriously? And he goes, listen, you are incredibly artistic. You have, you have, you have concepts for design, focus, silhouette, shape, balance, color, theory, all of that. You get it. And he goes, you're one step ahead. And he goes, plus, you've got a great personality. You would be fun to work with. And at the time, he was an art director for a magazine in Dallas. And he goes, I'm going to tell you right now, I spend a lot of money on hair and makeup people. You can make a really great living. And I was like, really? And I was like, okay. And then I honestly, within two weeks, I signed up at Bill Hills College of Cosmetology in (laughs) Davenport, Iowa, in the back of a furniture carpet warehouse and I'm not, oh I don't, I, it's hard to explain, but I walked in and I felt safe. I felt, I felt like I was mm-hmm. where I needed to be. Like yeah. I, I was with my tribe and I was just like, and I didn't know what the hell like Marcel curling iron was, but I was like, <laughs> I'm in this to win this. Yeah. And that's how the beauty school started. That's and it was amazing. a great, and that was a great experience as well. So you come out of the army, you come out of your own familial army of people and like, you had never thought about doing this at this point. Like, what are your thoughts about doing hair in general? Like, what does that all encompass? Like you, I love that you said, like, I found my people, I felt safe. Like that's so important when I think you're going into a career is like, oh, wow, these people are like me. I feel like I'm not a fish out of water, which you'll feel if you're in the wrong place. Did you feel like a fish out of water in the army? 
You know, uh, when I changed my mindset, I did not feel like a fish out of water. I felt like a fish swimming. Okay. Like, and in my, I felt, um, you know, there's certain things I struggled with in the army, you know, because the physical fitness is intense. Oof, yeah. Intense. Like, and that was, that was my biggest issue. And I, you know, and in the army, they have a fat boy program. What? Well, that's what we call it. What is that? They literally, if you're if you're a little overweight, they'll start tape measuring you and weighing you every week. I felt like honestly, I felt like I was on a sitcom, and the the, oh. the network execs were making me measured out. Anyway, yeah, right. You're on. The, right. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. But I was okay. like, and then my friend, my friend would eat like crazy, and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm trying to get out on the Fat Boy program. <laughs> I was like, first of all, we don't have Google. How the hell do you know there's a fat boy program? Like oh I, I was so amazed. And I I was on the strictest diet. I could not weigh more than 202 pounds at four. And, and I'm six, four and a half. Whoa. And I remember we would run in the morning and I was the color guard. So I'm holding the flag and I'm just like, oh. it was, it was always so intense, but that was my biggest struggle. Everything else, like tactical mission, like, weaponry, everything else I excelled at greatly, but it was the physical fitness because, you know, growing up in the army, we never worked out because we worked on the farm. Yeah. So it was a different mindset to be working out, to work out and not working and working out. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. It does. Yeah. It's very different. And so that was a big shift for me. And that was a big struggle. And I, I remember I, I worked incredibly hard and I would just barely pass every test. And I'm like, good Lord, I am, I can't be this bad. I like, they pushed me, which is what I needed. My discipline, ev- my self-motivation, everything in the army th- is, I literally learned so many things. Yeah. Like when I got out of the army, my family was like, oh my God, you're a changed person. Wow. And my niece was like, you're not such an asshole anymore. <laughs> <laughs> respect happening. Well, I think that's like amazing. I mean, I think, you know, whether you've been in the army or not, it's, it's definitely so discipline making and just the respect that you have to give the people that you're with consistently and constantly. Um, but something I feel like you were already learning coming from such a large family too. Right. Well, and you know, it was implemented constantly in the family, but also remember my childhood was completely disrupted with my dad's illness. He had cancer. Yeah. And so all those treatments, you start to, you just start to jump in and help wherever you can with healthcare with him. Cause I remember we were taking care of him. Plus we had the farm stuff mm-hmm. and it's almost like you just didn't have an option. You just stepped up and you made yeah. it happen. So that mm-hmm. was already instilled in me. It was just the other disciplines of doing it before I was asked as my mother would say. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. So you're in beauty school and right. what happens after that? Well, beauty school, <clears throat> I, um, a couple of random things. I used to work at UPS at night. <laughs> I would, I would oh. go to beauty school, learn about hair during the day. And then at night I would work at UPS loading trucks, which was a grueling job. Like I've never sweat so much in my life and they love to hire the previous military because we're very disciplined and we'd like to, you know, we're all about competitions or whatever. Yeah. And I was there for, um, I was there for about a year and it was just, I just needed to get money. And, and I was like, you know what, this is really probably not for me. And there was a dinner theater in uh, Rock Island, Illinois, 
just uh, probably about mm, 10 minutes from where the beauty school is in Iowa. And I auditioned to be a singing and dancing bootlegger, which is a waiter. (laughs) And our responsibility was, you know, singing happy birthday and anniversary to people. And we'd have our own section and it was a buffet. So we were responsible for drinks and desserts. And before the main stage show, we had a bootlegger review. So every, every food server, we're in our, we're in our tux performance waiter outfits and we literally would, we had, there was a table, we'd lay our trays down and go up on stage, sing and do this whole review for this, for this new show. And it'd be, you know, like 15, 20 minutes of song and dance and little medleys and whatnot. And we literally, as we filed off, we'd pick up our trays, go get desserts and salads and start bringing them back and around. And I love that job so much. And we had, yeah. I have the dearest friends still to this day, really tight with a lot of them. And I did that for seven years. Oh, wow. And I, once I finished beauty school, I'd do hair during the day and I would be a singing and dancing waiter at night. Oh. And it was, it was at Circa where I had a lot of opportunities because the wardrobe guy, uh, Greg Hyatt, he goes, hey, Dean, I need some help with wigs. Could you help me with wigs? And I was like, oh, well, we haven't learned any of that in beauty school, but I'm sure Yes, because when you do hair and makeup, you say yes, right? Yes. <laughs> and I remember he needed help. He needed me to do hair on a on a new tour, the A Closer Walk with Patsy Cline. Oh, wow. So it's period hair. It's a regional dinner theater that has zero budget. So when he handed me the wigs, they were literally Halloween wigs. Ooh. And this was before any social media or, I mean, there was no Google. There was nothing via the internet. It was like, oh, I need to go to the library and see if I can find a book on how to make a wig or how to do, there was just nothing on it. Yeah. And um, it was funny because this morning I'm looking through and this, this photocopied book is from there because the wardrobe guy was like, you know, I think there's a book in, in the, uh, the costume house library on wigs or something. <laughs> and I was oh like, get it. I need a photocopy. <laughs> I need to make a binder. And I, um, I asked a local drag queen to help me I learn how to, to do these. And it was a small, t- you know, it's Iowa. There's not a lot of drag queens and his wigs right. weren't really that great, but it was, he taught me the process of, you know, using a steamer and styling and all of that. And I mean, were the wigs amazing? They were amazing enough for this tour. <laughs> yeah. But that kind of started my whole entertainment buzz. Being a singing and dancing waiter, I love that entertainment part of it. I love the performance of it. I love the magic of creating a stage to create that imaging, that, that you know, to create the character and so on and so forth. And <clears throat> that's how I kind of got that entertainment bug, to be honest with you. And then when I started doing wigs and I started, um, I was on the roster. So anytime an actor would come in for the theater and they needed a haircut, they would send them to me. So I was, I started to do the crew and staff mm-hmm. and, and it was just a really great um, time of my life. Honestly, we had, we're performing, I'm meeting the most amazing, talented people and I was like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is feeding my soul. Mm-hmm. It's not feeding it a full meal, but it's a nice little appetizer. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's kind, of, that's kind of how I got the bug. And 
just to kind of fill this all in, I uh, one of my friends challenged me to a goal that I had about doing hair for TV and film. But in Iowa, realistically, that's not the place to be. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did some research. I found Susan Lipson, who has Onset Motion Picture Hair Academy. I don't know if she still has it, but she had it then. And I came out to LA and I learned <clears throat> some different ways to do hair for TV and film. And she was kind of a big champion for me because she gave my name to a ton of people. Oh. And I was I was still living in Iowa and I would get calls from like Warner and <laughs> Fremantle and different production companies, telepictures. And uh, I reached out to her and I go, are you giving my name to people? And she goes, yes, you need to be in LA. Mm. And I was like, um, I'm pretty rooted in Iowa. And she goes, she goes, just apply for one job and I'll leave you alone. And I go, okay. And I applied at the television show Extra and I, I was asked to come out for an interview. And I came out for the interview. I did the host hair for the, for the show. And I always have an Iowa moment because there were like 8 million people who watch the show on a daily basis. There are 3.5 million people who live in the entire state of Iowa. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's, so it's that, 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 that Iowa moment. I have yeah. them all the time. Yeah. But I just was like, when I came for the interview, I was like, I just have to be me. Cause I can't change that. They're either going to love me or not. And both mm-hmm. are okay. And once I said that, I, I just was in a groove. I was like in my zone, you know, yeah. and the, and that, that host for the show was not very nice. <laughs> But I was like, oh, I can handle, I was in the army. I can handle drill sergeants. Right. And that's, that's really how the TV world started because they offered me that job. And Valentine's Day 2000 was my very first day of work in Los Angeles. Aww. I like to say it was my sweetheart job. It was your sweetheart <laughs> job. That's so cool. And like, to me, when I hear this, it just feels that you are so on your path and you're just saying yes to the opportunities that come up and you're not, I mean, maybe you were second guessing certain things like, oh, wow, I just got this job. I guess I'm moving to LA now. And like that, you know, I'm sure that was terrifying or exciting or all kinds of things. All of the above. Right. But you know, I think when you really are trying to change your life and do what your soul is wanting to do, right? Like you said, like, oh, it was a nice appetizer in Iowa, but it wasn't the full meal. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a really big moment where you're given these opportunities to have the big meal, right? How did you know, like, okay, yes, it's time. I'm going to go. I mean, besides getting the job, which is such a huge sign of like, yeah, you should go. But like, how did you make that decision? Um, well, I, every single one of my friends is like, if you do not do this, it's going to be a really bad choice if you don't, because this does not happen to very many people. And so I'm like, recognize it. And then I was like, I'm moving clear across the country and I didn't have very much money at all. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was still driving. I was driving like a 22 year old piece of crap Toyota (laughs) And it was great because God knows it's probably still running somewhere. Um, But I had two friends in LA and they were like, live with us so you can figure out where you want to be. I borrowed one of their cars. I remember my sister had just started selling cars and she goes, I'm going to look for a car for you. And she, Mm -hmm. she found a car, loaded up the car with a bunch of my stuff. One of my friends drove it out. I still had my salon in LA. So I was flying back and forth once a month to do clients. And it was just becoming, it was coming difficult And 
my friends in uh, Santa Monica, where I stayed, they refused to let me pay for rent for three months. Mm. And that saved me. Yeah. Because rent in LA can really rip you apart if you're not prepared. Yeah. And, um, and I just, I got to tell you, I leaned into it because everything, and it's kind of hard to explain because every single aspect of my life, hair, family, salon, studio, living, all of it interlocked together so perfectly that I, and I didn't plan it. I just was like, I, re, I remember people would go, what are you doing? I go, I'm releasing it to the universe because I don't know what's happening, but I am, I'm going to lean into this and I'm going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And I was very, when they hired me as very specific, I have these obligations that I need to be, make sure that I'm available for that I have pre-commitments to, and then I'm yours. Yeah. And um, it, it all happened so seamlessly that I knew I needed to continue to do it because it was, it was, it was beyond me. Every single thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fit together. That's such a huge, huge piece of advice because, you know, we get caught up in this whole hustle culture, right? Of like, do, 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 do. And I don't think that's always necessarily the answer. I think it's no. do what's being placed in front of you and then do it really well, which you are a prime example of, and then be open to what the universe brings you and make the decision as it comes. Because your whole life up until this point was so divinely planned. And you just, even with the army, you're like, I don't want to do this, but you did it anyway. And you did the best right. you could and everything else you just said, Yes. And I also feel like there's a tremendous amount of humility with you and what you've done in your life. It's, it's not about like ego or I'm better or I'm better than this or whatever you're working at UPS, you know, like, and doing all of the above, you know, I think that that releasing to the universe is so strong and so important, but also just being able to like trust your gut and not when it, cause you know, something I think people get really hung up on is, is this my, you know, gut telling me to do something or is this my fear? And what I always think is if it's my gut, it's a very gentle, easy, seamless mm-hmm. situation. Or if it's fear, it's coming from a place of scarcity, lack, oh my gosh, I don't know what I should do. So I should just do this right now. And right. that's not at all what you're describing. So well, and you know, <clears throat> when you say listen to your gut, it's, um, I'm very intuitive about, about situations, people, things, opportunities. <clears throat> and there's been, there's been one, oppor- one opportunity that I really wanted to do. And after the first big production meeting, I was like, <clears throat> I, I got a pang mm. and it wasn't a fear pang. It was like, the best way for me to describe it is every department was individual. Mm. And you can't make a great show if it's like that. You've got to cohesively work together. Mm -hmm. I'm always telling people, I have an 80-20 rule. Excuse me, as long as I'm happy with 80% of my creative, I'm good. Because I got to bend on 20% for makeup and wardrobe and production. And that's cool. Because they're like, oh, you know what? We would love to do this, this, and this. I go, awesome. 
oh, we're going to have high collars. Great. I'll take the hair up. Mm-hmm. So that's all part of the 20%. But as long as I have my concept and my, my idea of working together with each one of these departments, it's going to be an awesome experience. Yeah. And I could tell right away, they were like, oh, this has to be this way. And this has to be this way. And I was like, well, then if you need somebody to just paint by the numbers, you should get that person. But if you want somebody to create a look and do something that's, that's intricately within our realm of expertise, Mm -hmm. great. Then let us, let it give us that reign and let us do. And, um, I was like, I wasn't regret. I have no regrets. Well, I have one, one regret. A celebrity wanted to date me, but I was too young. Anyway, that's a whole nother story, (laughs) Um, but no regrets on it because when I, when I, let go of that project. And it was a big project. I was like, you know what? I have zero regrets about doing that. I actually feel really good that I'm not doing this particular show. And I was like, I, I kind of had to like really unpack that because, you know, it's a great opportunity. Listen, there's thousands and thousands of people that would love to do what we do. Mm -hmm. And I understand that I don't take it for granted, but I also don't want to be in an environment that's not going to be conducive of releasing all of our creative abilities Mm -hmm. because I think that's when real magic comes together. Mm -hmm. I think when you let, when you hire the right people and you give them a, like, this is what we're looking for, but let them go. Like you're explaining, let them be the creatives that they are and then let them all work together. It's, it's a beautiful situation, but it's that releasing control, whether it's coming from the higher ups or whatever, or within the department, like you've got to be a team, but you've also got to feel safe enough to be creative in that team. Well, and you know, that's my family. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like, <clears throat> it was never one person's way or the highway. We work together as a family. We work together as a group unit. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us have our strengths and weaknesses, and we utilize that to the best of our ability. Even now, to this day, if there's anything that happens within the family, you know, there's certain people within that jump in to do their specialty, mm-hmm. you know, and I my specialty is very different, but, I, you know, my... My love language is taking care of people because that's what we do. And that Mm. feeds my soul. And, you know, I'm not the one that is going to be making the arrangements for everything, but I will make sure everybody looks good when they're going. (laughs) Yeah, you know your strengths. And so that's what I love to when in hiring a team, too, and just being in that diversification of talent Mm -hmm. and ethnicity and culture and talent I think it's, I love it. Yeah. So when people are, and I'll just keep it broad because whether you're creative or you're more of like a techie or whoever, what is your biggest piece of advice when you are trying to follow what your soul really wants to do, but you're scared? Well, you know, fear is the biggest crippler of all of us really. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I don't, I can't remember the the speaker who said this, but like, there's been many times where your mind is just full of, oh my God, this and this and this, I'm worried about this, or I have anxiety, whatever, make a list, make a list of all of that, list it out, and then go through that list and, and put a check mark next to the thing you can control. If you can control it, then work on that. 
If it's out of your realm, release it. Mm-hmm. And, and in all aspects of my life, I feel like I do that constantly because, all right, well, that's, that's, that is beyond me. That doesn't even really have anything to do with me. So mm-hmm. I need to let it go. That's a really great point because, you know, people take things so personally and that is not it. Most of the time, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the other situations happening all together. So, you know, when you do get rejected for something or you don't get the job you want or the relationship or whatever, most of the time, it's just because that wasn't really right for you and it wasn't personal. And I think that's so important to remember. And I will say, uh, and not, I don't necessarily, the, I, I mean, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the phrase I'm about to tell you, but Katy Perry said it on Idol during an audition. And she was said, listen, and they had just said no to a contestant. And they go, listen, sometimes, you know, rejection is the Lord's protection. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that, but that rejection isn't protecting you from anything. It's actually helping you develop. And it's important that you don't get everything you need or it wants. You have to work for it. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important. It does. It is in the moment. Like, you know, when I, I mean, I think we've all been ghosted by some dates, but, <laughs> the, um, but it has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It has zero to do with me because I know I'm enough. Yep. I'm more yep. than enough. And when you start to think that way, you start to attract that way mm-hmm. where I am enough. And you start to, you start to really get these interesting opportunities that come your way mm-hmm. just by being open and available. Absolutely. And trusting yourself. I mean, what I'm hearing so much of is just, I am enough as I am right here, right now. And I will attract the right people and the right circumstances that match that vibration. Right. Right. And so then the people that are in your life, let's just use people as an example, or even a work situation, whatever, will suddenly start unattaching from you. And you've got, and again, that's like rejection is God's protection. You've got to just let it go. Like you might never know why you just might not ever know why. And that's fine. (laughs) Because it really probably has nothing to do with you. Right. Again, it's not personal. It really, it's just the Godfather all over the place. You know, it's just not personal. Now, and just to build onto that too, when you, when you say rejection is the Lord's protection, whatever you've been rejected by or whomever, the thing is, is you have to utilize that as a ground point to grow more. Mm. So like right now, this is where we are. are. You've been rejected for this job. Well, all right, well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Why were you, why do you think you were rejected? Well, maybe my skill level for wigs isn't where it needs to be. Well, great. Now you have an opportunity to take some classes to learn and develop that skill and develop it above and beyond what you ever thought you could do. But you've got to put in the work. Because it's not about natural talents. Like there's two things here. It's not always about natural talents. It's also about your attitude. You've got to have a good attitude. You've got to be a team player. You can't just be like, I'm the best. Look at me. But also, even if you do have great natural talent and some training, like you just said, if you get rejected for a job, it's a perfect time to be like, 
cool. I wasn't ready for that level yet. Let me work more and be humble enough to say like, I need to do more studying. I need to do whatever it is I need to do to get better. Period. That's why you need to unpack it because whatever it is, maybe you need to work on your coding, maybe whatever, whatever, maybe you need to work on your eyebrow arch. I don't, maybe you need to work on your blending, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is you need to go, okay, why I was rejected from this. I know I'm enough personally, Mm -hmm. mentally, but talent wise, what could I do that would make me more valuable for that position? And it could be, it could be any realm of things, but you also have an idea of what that is because this is your expertise. Right. You're like, Oh, you know what? Mm, I need to work on a lace front more. So I need to work on, you know, other, other situations and making styles last. And I'm, I'm just looking at it for my you know, from my point of view and my perspective of what I unpack for myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I don't want to project any of my stuff on somebody else because I know what I need to improve on. Like when I'm on set and somebody goes, Oh, I need, could you, um, I would love to do a braid on this side. I was like, okay, what kind of braid? Because I mean, I can do, I can do braids, but I have to really focus on it mm-hmm. because there's so many and it's the intricacy and it's that, and it, you know, my mom was a big quilter and she could stitch for hours, but she had it down and she would switch a stitch. And like, if she's going from a cross stitch to a whip stitch, she would say it out loud. Yeah. And I've, I've started to do a lot of that where it's, um, I think there's a book, uh, checklist manifesto where they have checklists of doing stuff, which uh-huh. my mom had done our entire life, but it's like that checklist of things. Okay. Well, I need to improve this. So let me just take that to the next level. So I'm more valuable to myself as well, mm-hmm. because once you invest in yourself for new training or classes or whatever it is, all that does is elevate you to the next right. level, which is where we want to be. Exactly. You can't just get comfortable. And some people do, they just get very comfortable at their level. And then they wonder why is my life so boring or why am I not moving? Why is nothing changing? And then something does change in the wrong way because they've been too comfortable. You know, right. maybe they get laid off, whatever. It's so important to just, I just, I always say the word humble, but like, just keep that humility of like, I can always be better. Even if I'm good right now, that's awesome. That's great. But like, I can always be better. I mean, I, so you and I both are singers and I love that. Um, I'm going back into musical theater after taking a very long hiatus and thank you. And I have given myself this year to just train, train in acting, train in singing, train in dancing, just like really, you know, just, just everything off and commit. And so just a couple of weeks ago, I put a self tape together for a musical. And I was like, Oh, how fun. This is so much easier. I don't even have to go in anymore. I can just be like, here's my tape. And I sent it off and I was like, you know, it's good, but is it going to get me the part? I'm not sure. And if I don't get the part, a not going to take it personally, I'm just going to keep training because maybe I'm just not ready yet. Maybe I'm just not at that level yet. Totally. Okay. Or B Maybe they had other people they were already thinking of for this part, even even though they're doing auditions. And it was so nice to like, let go of the rejection because clearly I didn't get it, but like, it was so nice to let go of the rejection and be like, great. Like, this is also probably working out too, because it would have been so far to travel. And how could I do that with work? Like the things that are meant for you always do find you. 
but again, it's, it's so much a part of like what you're doing to help yourself. And but it's also you putting that tape together <clears throat> it start, you've already started to go, Oh, you know what I could do? I could, the lighting could be better here, or I could do this better, or I could, whatever yeah. we start to, we start to, you know, look at our stuff deeply mm-hmm. and kind of reassess it. But <clears throat> I think with that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but anytime you submit something <clears throat> and you put it out there, the biggest thing for me is just that vulnerability mm-hmm. of being judged. You know, cause I just, <clears throat> one of the new things that I started was, you know, I'm starting a Hollywood hair guy course where you can sign up online. And I just did the first one and son, how to make, you know, really avant-garde pieces, sheet of, sheets of hair and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and, you know, we did the photo shoot. I did it step-by-step. Step, and then you release that and people have signed up. But there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with that mm-hmm. because art is subjective. Everybody looks at it differently. Everybody looks at your singing voice differently than mine or whatever, your yeah. dance moves. Everybody, it's all art. It is It is completely subjective, which is what it needs to be because you're not, you're not going to make everybody happy and that's okay. As long as you feel comfortable with what you've done to the best of your ability. Mm Because when you know better, you do better. So exactly. And also with that, just not copying other people. If you're still copying other people, you haven't quite found yourself yet and found your art, like what you're really giving. So gosh, Dean, I love talking to you. Tell people more about this course and also how they can find you and all well, of the things. My big thing is um, Instagram, Yay. which my handle is dbano. And the Instagram has all the information on the courses. It's really interesting. And, and this is what's really, you know, we're changing things up because I've never done a course before. I mean, I filmed everything in my workshop studio and, um, and I, um, you know, when you live in your zone of excellence, like I can run a show with my eyes closed yeah, and I can do a haircut with my eyes closed. I can do all of that because that's my zone mm-hmm. of excellence. But my zone of genius is creating. Yeah. And we don't often get an opportunity to be in that zone. And I was in that zone for this course and it felt good. Mm-hmm. It felt challenging and it felt really rewarding. And I was like, <clears throat> I haven't felt that way for a while. Mm. I, I remember I felt that way when I started to do shows because I was learning and I was really perfecting. But that creating where I get to do a concept, you know, I get to do this, this, this visual interpretation of what's in my head from concept to completion and build it. It's like, listen, it's like a baby. You have developed it and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of shooting and a lot of editing and it takes all of that. Um, But the one thing that I know is it made me feel really good and it made me feel different. Like I was, I was transferring my education to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm not that old and I still have a long way to go, but it's important that you you openly give your information. And I'm always like, everybody's like, why are you giving all your trade secrets? I go, because when you give them away, you get them, you get them back tenfold. Like yeah. 
listen, there's a, there's, there's a million people who can do your hair, but no one can replace Dean Banowitz, period. And that's been my, that's been my mindset. Because there's people looking for exactly what I have to offer. And that's my mantra. I say it all the time. When I say it, I receive it. Oh, I love this. I love this. Oh my gosh. Go find Dean. You're a hairstylist and you want to learn more about hair. Go take his courses. Just go follow him. He's such a great dude. I try to keep it entertaining. He does. <laughs> you do. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. I oh God, just Thanks love for having this. me. This is very fun. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, sharing is caring. Make sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. We really rely on this to help get the podcast out there. Also, make sure to watch the video version on YouTube at That Girl the Podcast.